Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Industrial Theory. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, CEO of Stone Age, and I am so glad you're here today. I hope you're having a very safe week. Today, we are going to talk about the Water Jet Technology Association, the WJTA's Hydroblasting Training and Certification Program. I have Peter Wright, the WJTA's Association Manager, and Frank G. Romito, Stone Age's Training Specialist and WJTA's Training and Certification uh, Chair on the show today to talk to you about the purpose of the Hydroblasting uh, Field Verification Program, the benefits of it, how it helps contractors, how it helps asset owners, and really what the future of the program looks like. So it's very exciting, and I can't wait for you to get educated on this topic. So hang tight, and I'll be right back with Frank and Peter. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I have Frank G. Romito from Stone Age and Peter Wright from WJTA with me today. As we talked about on the pre-show, Peter and Frank, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Carrie. Thanks. Yeah, glad you're here. Okay, we're going to talk about WJTA's hydroblasting training. So, Peter, can you give us an overview of, um, of the training, maybe a little bit of history and where we are today? Yeah, absolutely. So, we... Um... We really got started with hydroblast training at the WJTA about two years ago. And so we rolled out the program first with our computer-based training, our e-learning module. And once that was established, we released a uh, in-person hands-on um, instructor-led module. So it's a two-part training and certification program. And since then, we've had some curriculum updates, but otherwise we've just been working to scale the program within the U.S. and Canada. Great. And can you tell us how the program works, at least at a high-level overview? Yeah. So um, WJTA's master trainers will deliver train-the-trainer courses to approve the verified trainers who will then deliver hands-on training. So those, those verified trainers may be with OEMs like yourselves, or they may be with contractors or third parties. And so... In terms of actually delivering the certification, it's a two-part process. There's the e-learning module followed by the in-person, which is delivered by the verified trainer. And so, you know, we can talk more about that structure if you want, but we've found that to be really conducive to entry-level education. Yeah, great. Well, I think we'll get into a little bit more in the show. Thanks for giving the overview. All right. So, Frank, you've just recently gotten involved with WJTA, uh, at least by taking over the training committee. So congratulations on that. Uh, can you give us a little bit of perspective from what you're seeing? You're coming from an OEM, from a contractor, you know, how this program should be you know, util utilized effectively for contractors and asset owners? Absolutely. So, Basically, within the committee, what we're really trying to get a uh, keep a handle on and um, maintain oversight of really who needs help uh, becoming involved. How do we reach out and get folks to become involved to the level uh, where it's appropriate? Do they need uh, to outsource because of a lack of resources? Um, are they able to take this whole effort on internal? Uh, what do they need to set up? How do we set up their verified training sites? How do we set up their record keepings accounts with the HASC? Um, and, and how do we let them roll through this process and figure out how certification of their employees can work for them? Um, we want to make sure that 
contractors' uh, safety policies are reflecting the use of their pro of the program and making sure that it's uh, to their benefit. Coming from a contractor and using the program, actually at the program's infancy, we saw a lot of success from going through a internally built program to something that was structured and immediately and continually aligned with the Orange Book and updated in real time. All of our trainers were WJTA members, so we were in the mix, to put it really loosely. Uh, we had all the opportunities to talk with the whole network, anyone that is a WJTA member, uh, using our resources and really using our industry peers uh, and colleagues as resources. This whole thing was a collaborative effort to launch this training. And what we're really trying to do in the committee is numbers do speak for everybody, and we kind of see where some folks might have some gaps. We see where some people got started um, and maybe they trailed off or we see a group of, of individuals that are really taking the program seriously and it's working for them. So their numbers are growing. They're really spending, uh, sending folks their training. They're spending, you know, 20 hours on an individual, bringing them up to a really, really strong baseline of content. And when we see that, we want to react. We want to ensure that we can keep everybody moving with this effort. Now, so what is the value proposition? I mean, why should contractors be implementing the WJTA training within their companies, Frank? When a contractor chooses to become involved, they're being proactive. Uh, we've seen some interesting things like contractors that are starting to offer hydroblasting as an extension of their service line, and they found the program and they were proactive. They approached, they said, hey, we need training. They're not too proud to say, we don't know exactly what's happening here. So we want this baseline. We see that you're the association over these, over these ordinances. And we want all in, we want the certification because we want the knowledge. Other contractors that might've had a, an, an established training program for years and years and years might go through a reevaluation and say, Hey, this is the trusted industry association. We see this coming down the pipeline as far as something that our customers, our recipients of our services are going to either recognize or require. And we want to update ourselves. So they might want to use this as something to boost up their existing training. Now, they may have specialty pieces of equipment like specialized automation, cutting equipment, things of that nature that are a little bit way past the basics. But establishing the baseline is what we're really seeing in the industry as a priority. Somebody needs to walk before they can run. And this program does exactly just that. And it puts everyone on the same page. That's great. Peter, how about from the asset owner side, right? This needs to be supported and bought into by asset owner, facility owners. You know, what's the benefit that they can see from this program, you know, both from potentially training their own personnel and also ensuring that the contractors who come on their site are properly trained, at least in the basics? I think that's a, a great question because the two really go hand in hand. And one of the biggest benefits that we see of this program is in standardizing the terminology and standardizing the way we look at best practices. <clears throat> and that's all around the WJTA's orange book. So, you know, when the, when the asset owners personnel, their permit writers, their permit auditors, their operators, when they go through training, whether it's the e-learning module through the safety council, or whether they go through the actual training course themselves, they know that they're speaking the same language as the contractors on site. And I, I think that's tremendously valuable. And I think it's really, really underestimated at times. I mean, when you have different 
terms and different practices, even if you're kind of trying to say the same thing, that creates gaps where you can have safety incidents and near misses. So I think it it really helps get everyone on the same page. The other obvious benefit is, I mean, being able to just gate check your contract personnel now that they're um, now that they have this baseline of training when they come in. So there's 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 a, a pragmatic benefit in knowing exactly what how your contractors are trained and then there's the higher level benefit that um everything is kind of in alignment around the same principles yeah it makes total sense all right talk about how the process works how does one become certified frank and how do they train their entire hydroblasting staff through this program great question carrie so when somebody chooses to enroll an individual for the full certification. They want somebody uh, to have these two course codes that complete the full certifications. That would be foundational training, which is our three hour long e-learning CBT module that is proctored. It is supervised. Uh, it requires an 80% passing score and an individual can do this through multitude of avenues. They can either go to an ARSC site and receive this training. They can do this remote in a secure environment via online link train. And once this individual completes this course, um, they will automatically have a course code uploaded. And as soon as that happens there themselves, that will live with them for uh, three years before ex expiration. Now, why does that expire? It expires for two reasons. Number one is within that three-year window, what we're doing is we're continually improving the course content. And even if the content isn't being updated, we're up updating its delivery style. So we want it to hit the trainee as well as possible. We know that e-learning can be a little bit painful at some times if it's not very engaging. So we're always looking after that. We don't want uh, somebody to become disengaged when they're just stepping into this whole process. So the second reason for that three-year expiration is as a refresher. So it is a form of a refresher. So somebody can do that at any time. Now, the second portion of the certification takes a whole lot more effort, uh, a lot of resources, uh, resources meaning like capital equipment you know trainers uh people's time employees time so it's uh and actually the correct timeline um within the scope of business uh busy seasons versus uh you know downtime it's 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 a little bit hard to schedule it does take a lot of resources so somebody can equip themselves to come to field verification which is part two and when somebody comes to field verification, they've already had within their heads, they've had the knowledge and the cardinal ordinances that they must latch onto uh, with, with importance that are the musts and the shalls and the do's and do nots. They've had that sunk in prior to coming to class. What they've also gained is something that didn't really sink in. They've at least gained familiarity. So this is like a progressive style where at least they saw it once so that when the instructor brings it up in the classroom, it's at least relevant to what they've seen recently. What we do in the classroom setting and in the practical uh, competency proof setting, uh, meaning classroom and outside in, in our verified training site in the field, in our mock-up field, is somebody's undergoing the orange book content through about four hours, a slide presentation with real-time props from the qualified trainer instructor and then what we're going to do is we're going to go outside and every single individual is going to prove competency in full PPE, full operating pressure in a fully safe, compliant environment formulated at a verified training site. They're going to complete that whole test. 
And if anything goes wrong, we're going to fix it in real time. We're going to shut it down and we're going to correct this issue in real time so that everybody sees in a sterile environment. I can't stress that enough. Sterile environment. They see, hey, this is going wrong. But guess what? We're not under time pressure. There's no ambient noise. There's no hazcom issues to worry about. There's none of that. There's nothing going on. We see tra uh, tragedies and just a lot of even just bad morale come from on-the-job training. It's just not appropriate. So having this training in the sterile environment prior to that is really critical. Once every individual completes an automated means correctly of shotgunning, line mulling, and flex lancing, then they graduate to an automated means of shotgunning, line mulling, and flex lancing. And what that progressive style really does is it gives them a, an appreciation, especially new hires, gives them an appreciation of, hey, I saw all the PPE I had to don to do this task. I saw that my proximity to the high pressure water jets doing this task. I just saw how strenuous this was. And now I'm putting myself 15 to 30 feet outside of a barricade zone. I'm in about half of that amount of PPE. And I kind of just had some fun too. So it's, it's a really neat experience. And even though this is a one-on-one training, this is basic content. Um, even the most experienced will come away from that, uh, learning something. So it's, it's a great experience whole collectively. We're talking roughly between uh, 15 and 20 hours to get somebody fully certified, but I can guarantee you that it's worth every single person involved with high pressure water. Yeah, I agree. So give us a testimonial, right? I've heard Stone Age employees who've gone through this training, um, people who've been in the industry for a long time, have aha moments and really like it. Tell us what you're hearing from operators who are taking this program. I think sometimes I get a little bit, I get a little bit uh, maybe embarrassed that we are talking at such a uh, basic level as far as identifying componentry, color coding, MAWPs the correct usage and mounting of anti-withdrawal devices or AWDs, uh, the correct procedural steps to come up to pressure safely, checking leaks at half pressure, hand signals, communication with your pump operator, line of sight, radio communication, things like that, things that are very elementary. If you've ever gone through an OSHA course or a basic plus course or a site specific, you get the same things iterated to you multiple times. And sometimes that seems tiring. However, I think the environment is what makes the class so excited. So people come in, even if we are talking about an anti-withdrawal device and how to mount it on a tube sheet, someone comes in and you have six different stories of how that went great or how that didn't go so great in the past. So people come in this room and they realize, oh man, we're in here and this is the right way. They're leaving with the right way. And I think that's why they get so excited. The second part, the practical part is really just a giant communication exercise is what it is. Like the act of cleaning a clean heat exchanger is not terribly difficult, but maintaining the correct communication is a lot. It, it is very difficult. And when somebody nails it and they finish it off and they did it exceptionally well, uh, their peers start congratulating them or somebody's uh, uh, having an issue and their peer steps in and they exercise their stop work and they say, hey, we got an issue here. All that is just exciting. I think that's what the the, uh, the feedback is, is that somebody leaves with all these varying experiences and they all leave with one way of doing it from then on out. And I think that's why people enjoy this, uh, the certification process. That's awesome. Thank you. Okay, great. We've been talking about certification. What does certification even mean? And why would I care if my employees are certified if I've already trained them? So that's a good question. It's actually one that comes up pretty frequently. So what... Certification means is simply that 
the people who've been through the program have met the criteria that we've established. And it sounds really basic, but it's actually extremely important because it tells the asset owners, the customers, it tells contractors if they're contracting third-party labor, if um, an operator goes from company to company, that certification tells them that they've met these criteria, which are, you know, in this case, it would be successful completion of the foundational training, like Frank described. It would be that they've been through every step on the field verification checklist for these different disciplines. So having that all consistent and structured is really what the certification is all about. Yeah, that makes sense. And Peter, how does the record keeping work with the program um, to keep track of these certifications? That's another um, great benefit because it's all totally centralized within the Health and Safety Council's database. And so that that's super easy for customers to verify. And those records stick with the employee. So, you know, they still may be retrained. I'm sure they will be, you know, if they go to a new company, but they they retain that credential and it's all centralized in one place. So that relieves some of the burden from the contractors and having to maintain all those records. And it provides portability for the operators. Yeah, makes sense. Thanks for explaining that, Peter. That's very helpful. Now, how does this all work? WJTA has their orange book, the uh, industry best practices, and then we've got OSHA standards. How do they work together and what does this all mean for a service provider? So OSHA doesn't have specific regulations for high pressure water jetting. And that's where industry associations like WJTA or, you know, the equivalent of WJTA and other crafts, that's where groups like ours come in and setting the recommended or best practices. And that that document basically becomes the reference for the industry and it's referred to in SOPs and court cases if that happens, unfortunately. So WJTA basically becomes the the de facto industry um, guideline for how to conduct these operations. Great. Thanks. Frank, do you have anything you want to add to that? I do. That's that's great, Peter. One great way to summarize this point about the WJTA standards relating to OSHA is that employers and employees have certain rights under the OSHA Act. And one big takeaway that is an employer right and responsibility is that the employer must be familiar with and comply with standards applicable to their establishments. Well, that sentence right there is my favorite because the Orange Book is the standard applicable to our establishment. Establishment, and you know, the way I'm perceiving this, doesn't necessarily mean a per certain place, but it means the business that we're conducting. And it is highly hazardous. As far as employees' key rights, the best one that they have is they have the right to receive adequate training. This is documented within OSHA training. This is part of 1910. This is something that must be communicated to the workplace. So with the two key takeaways of employers having a right to be familiar with and comply to an applicable standard and the employee having a right to receive the training so that they know how to respect that standard and practice that standard is just paramount. And I believe it allows us to practice within that capacity. Yeah. Great. So it seems like really the benefit of all of this is clarity and consistency. So everybody understands this is the way that we need to be doing things and this is the way that we're trained. And I can imagine that's a huge benefit for the industry. Would you say that's an overall objective for this program? 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's really it in a nutshell. Yeah, that's good. Okay, great. So now let's talk a little bit about what comes next. A lot of work has gone into this program so far, but I know that you have plans for additional training modules. So Peter, you know, can you give us a little bit of insight on the next steps to the program? Yeah, so a lot of our work right now has been to increase the accessibility of the program. So making sure that anywhere in the country geographically or with different contractors that they're able to access this training, whether that's internally or through OEMs or third-party providers. On the curriculum side, we've got some really cool um, new programs that we're developing. We've got a vacuum operator certification that will follow a similar structure that will launch this year. And we've seen a lot of demand for that because that's, as you know, that's also a potentially hazardous um, craft. We also have been working a lot on the asset owner side. So we collaborated with the Houston Business Roundtable and the Health and Safety Council to develop an e-learning module specifically for permit writers. And it's very, very basic. But if you have a new permit writer or safety associate who has no idea what hydroblasting is, they can take this 20, 30 minute course. It's very accessible. It's very quick. It gives them a really good introduction to the hazards that are specific to water blasting. And it gives them an appreciation for why this is a craft that they need to be involved in and they need to understand. So I think we've got some more um, projects, more work to do going beyond that and providing even more resources for asset owners so that they can partner as effectively as possible with the contractors on their sites. So that's really exciting. I mean, Frank, from your perspective, you know, what would an asset owner walk away with um, at the very least by either putting their permit writers through this course or just generally um, encouraging or maybe even requiring the WJTA training for their contractors on site? The asset owners that become involved with any particular course or any level of education to introduce them to our standard and our standardized way of uh, harmonizing <clears throat> all parties involved with this work is that they will greatly increase their auditing skills. Um, they're actually going to come away with a new way of doing things, which is just so much more easy for them. There's no longer really a need to develop anything specialized. You don't really need to make an SOP uh, off of different guidelines. You can bring this thing to a whole harmony. And what they can do is by putting themselves intentionally on the same page as their service providers, they take this level of education and they use it as their own policy. If they require that policy from their service provider, they're already mating up. They're already in, in the process of planning a turnaround or even just planning a simple job. Within that process, within writing that permit for that, there's no question of if something requires a variance. There's no question if something is compliant. All these things are going to be verified, of course, but there's no what if or there's no question or discrepancy because we're reading the same documentation. So ultimately, their big takeaway uh, really should be, oh, this makes life easier for me. So that's ultimately what we would love for everybody to be able to benefit. Yeah, I think that's a very worthy goal. And what happens if people get started and they need help, right? They're stuck with implementing this training program or stuck, you know, building out a requirement for their service provider, whether you're a NASA owner or a service provider. You know, what kind of support does the WJTA give to 
both contractors and asset owners looking to implement the, um, the hydroblasting program? That's another great question. If, if, if one becomes stuck, it's not a problem because we recognize it. We watch and we watch our progress monthly. In fact, we watch it in real time. And if we see that somebody dove in and they got started and they're actually either fully set up or they're 80 to 90% set up to conduct training and start running individuals through certification, but we see a drop off, then we reach out. We actively reach out. We say, what do you need? Do you need to outsource because you don't have the bandwidth or do you just not fully know where you're at? And do you need us to come on site? Do you need us to help you set up so that you can continue? Or are you not interested in continuing this on your own, but you'd like to receive this information in a different format? So the information is the information. There's several different ways that one could choose to become involved, but that's what we do is that if we see good activity, we continue to com promote it. If we see a lack of activity, we reach out and see why and offer assistance as, as needed. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, is there anything that I didn't ask that you would like to share about this program before we wrap things up, Peter? I think one one point that I might be worth um, mentioning, I think, think Frank kind of touched on this earlier, but what we're trying to do here is set a minimal level of expectation for contractors and for asset owners. And, you know, we've talked about getting everything standardized and that's super important, but what the WJTA program really is, is a minimum uh, recommended practices for safely carrying out these operations. And, you know, contractors may go beyond that. They may be more stringent on the PPE side. They may be more progressive on the automation piece. And they'll still find this program valuable because their operators, what they learn, whether it's the manual techniques or some of the practices, they're going to understand what the what the minimal requirements are. And then if they see their employer going beyond those, or if they see their the asset owner's requirements being more stringent, they're going to understand that. And I think I think that's really an important part of the program. Yeah. And really they should be going further, right? I mean, this is the basics, it's great, um, but there has to be ongoing training and practice with this type of equipment. So I can imagine that this is a great place for everybody to get started, but, and, and a good way to make sure that everybody's certified, but I can imagine that every contractor is going to add on their own specific requirements or best practices to the WJTAs. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And it's something that can be easily adapted into the contractor's own program. We've seen that with some of the larger service providers and Frank can probably provide better insight, but it's something that really can be integrated very seamlessly into their existing training. That's right, Peter. In fact, it's welcomed. Even when we distribute our PowerPoint slide deck for each qualified or verified trainer to use within their own company, we encourage that they keep all of our cardinal content that are shalls and musts. And we want them to actually blanket that with specific equipment that that contractor uses, specialty equipment that that contractor has fabricated or, or invented themselves. We want them to make it very pertinent to their audience, even though they must cover all the required ground. We want them to supplement that with things that make it really their own. We want them to use their experiences uh, anecdotally to support the points of importance and what they really mean. I would just encourage everybody to reach out for more information. We would love to share collateral and endorsements and experiences of success with the program. And we'd invite anyone to 
ask us how it can work for them. And Peter, how can people find more information? Where should they reach out to? So they can um, visit our website, of course. We've got um, all sorts of details on the program there. But if they just reach out to me or to our administrative office, I'd be happy to help. And if not, you know, I can always refer them to Frank or one of the other master trainers who can provide whatever assistance they need. All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this program. And thank you so much for everything that you've given to get this thing off the ground and implemented. And I'm really excited to see what you're going to do with it. So congratulations. And we appreciate your hard work. Thanks, Gary. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for giving us the opportunity to uh, talk about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, everybody, hang tight and I'll be right back. All right. Hopefully you enjoyed that interview. Those guys are so passionate and I really appreciate all that they do for our industry, as I'm sure all of you do as well. With that, I will leave you. I hope you have a safe week and I look forward to hosting you again on next month's episode of Industrial Theory. And if you like this podcast, please be sure to share it, subscribe to it, rate it, write a review, share it with a friend and always helps with the algorithms. And it helps spread the word of all the amazing things that are going on within our industry. We don't get a lot of press, but we're doing really important work. And that's the purpose of this podcast is to share those stories. Thanks so much. See you next month.